0: To a Republican-backed effort rooted in conspiracy theories that would remove the state from a national coalition that helps prevent voter fraud. Senate Bill 1070 would allow Texas to withdraw from the Electronic Registration Information Center, also known as ERIC, a multi-state program used for checking duplicate voter registrations and cleaning voter rolls. Right-wing activists and conservative media have spread viral conspiracy theories saying falsely that the program is led by left-wing activists, among other allegations. Support this local newscast and this station now by going to kpft.org and becoming a member. For KPFT News, I'm Elise Bench. You
1: miss your woman, and I miss my man too. Hey everybody, this is Glenna Bell, and you're listening to 90.1 FM KPFT Houston.
2: Looking out a dirty old way. Down below the cars in the city go rushing by I sit here alone and I wonder why
3: Welcome to Growing Up in America on KPFT Pacifica Radio. It's Claire and Dr. Bob here at your service. Claire Dutre, how are you doing? I am good. How are you? Very good. Very good. Good. you're doing better now to say that again because I think it didn't come through. I am good. There, look, and see. Now they hear me. Now <laughs> you're on the. I air I was just doing
4: a dramatic pause on the everyone. air
3: with Claire. So <laughs> ready to good go. Good hey, Susan had a show. good show coming in, didn't she? That was a pretty she great show. She did. On yeah. the air with Susan. Yeah, very good. And we, it's Pledge Week. It continues to be Pledge Week, yeah. so we want to make sure people uh, are given uh, pledging and being a part of community radio here on KPFT. But we have a great program here on Growing Up in America. We do. And, uh, let's see what we have going on. First off, uh, we have thumbs up, thumbs down, which is going to be, we're going to f- talk a little bit about banning backpacks in the schools, Claire.
4: We
2: so,
3: actually
4: changed the d- thumbs up. Did we? But <laughs> <It's> a- <laughs> well, we, is- one day, we will be talking about handing back that. What is our school. thumbs
3: up, thumbs down? We are
4: actually talking about pride merch for children. Oh, excellent! Yeah, who's yeah. going to be thumbs down on
0: that? Uh, I guess not there's a lot me. of people. There are a lot <laughs> of people. Maybe someone will call in. <laughs> not
3: in this. Uh, not in this uh, studio. But uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so we also have a lot of great things going on. We have uh, uh, Erica Dotson, who's going to be here. And we're going to be talking to her a little bit about Mental Health Awareness Month. We have Jessica Shannon uh, talking about uh, uh, supporting children in their grief. We have Benicia Peacock from the Harris County Department of Education talking about low wages and child learning. Then our favorite, Dr. Jamie Freeney, is in the house. Uh, so uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, youth mental health with her. And uh, let's see, Nicola, Nicole Lima from Worry mm-hmm. Juntos. Uh, Juntos? How do you say that? Do you know that? Worry
4: Juntos, Uri I believe.
3: Worry And uh, talking about... Uh, our uh,
4: organization, and yeah. the good work they do for the kids,
3: good work, they do, the young advocates, and so forth. So the, that should be good. And what is our uh, our data uh, date of the day today?
4: It is forty five percent.
3: Forty five percent. Do you have an idea? And on I that? almost did,
4: started reading the full sentence, did, and I didn't. Um, I'm going to say. 45% of kids are so sad that summer is almost here because they love school.
3: No, I think the number is much excited. higher than that. So, uh, But I'm glad that you took a stab at it, right? <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, last week we had 60. We couldn't guess what that was. No, 45%. Uh, the percentage, no, I don't know. But anyway, welcome hear. to Growing Up in America. This is a show on public policy, our children. How do we as a city, a state, community do when it comes to taking care of every single one of our children? Uh, we're a production of Children at Risk, which is the voice for Texas's children, a nonprofit dedicated to research, public policy, law, and collaborative action on behalf of the youth of Texas. Claire Dutre is a big cheese over at Children at Risk, and I'm Bob Sambor, and I also work with the organization, so we're excited to be here. So first off...
2: Si tú me deseas, yo a ti también. Hacer a tu te quiero comer. ¿Di qué vas a hacer? Así que ponme un desboque, se no
3: enhorabuena. Re- Thumbs up, thumbs down. Should parents be worried about pride clothing coming in kids' sizes? So pride clothing, it's like rainbow clothing, right? Yeah, it's just clothing. <laughs> so
4: stop there. Um, no, but it's timely. I keep seeing a lot on TikTok, on Facebook mainly. As but who doesn't like
3: Facebook. rainbow clothing?
4: Um, some parents are worried that it's indoctrinating children because of the sayings. Um, I have not seen, so I, I went to target specifically yeah. as what's under scrutiny or at least in the conversation and it's just some rainbows. I think one shirt says love everyone. I'm not sure mm-hmm. how harmful that can be for a child to wear.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: But yeah, it's just a worry of
3: the There's people who want hate out there apparently. So I uh, do,
4: I do. It's also when there's a conversation and it can get you traction and views, you're gonna talk about it. mm -hmm,
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But
4: are you thumbs up, thumbs down? Should parents (laughs) be worried?
3: Parents should not be worried. I say all clothing should be in rainbow colors. And I should agree. probably uh be fun. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know, what can it hurt? I would say uh I remember when my daughter was quite young she loved the rainbows, unicorns, so forth. And so uh Right. It wasn't necessarily associated with pride at the time. But I think it's you know right. I think it's great.
4: I've heard a lot of counterpoints too of kids' clothing that already exists, of future heartbreaker or um, things that are also oh. kind of in the same realm. So it's just the again, it's the. Irony I almost think in the that that's almost a different
3: realm, right? It's it's. Uh... Yeah, yeah. I
4: think kids are kids. The clothes are fun. It's just rainbow. Yeah, a lot of the cons. I'm trying to see what was pulled. Yeah, may spark the conversation. Children in school. So depending on how young. Um, yeah, it's just they're trying to keep it. Children completely isolated from
3: just. But you know what everyone. I think. I think what's happened, though, Claire, right, is that some of this has been exaggerated 100%. beyond beyond control. Right, the idea, the the idea that if you wear pride or rainbow clothing, even if it says pride on it, Correct. right, that that is sort of grooming you to change your sexuality. You know, and what we know about biology is that that's not, not going to happen, right? No. It's not going to happen, and you might be. Well, first off, if you're a kid, all you care about is what the color is. And, Correct.
4: You know. If it's fun and boy, for me, it was sparkly rainbow unicorn. Yeah. No matter what, I could get my hands on with color. Yeah. That's what I wanted so, to wear.
3: So this is almost absurd, right? I mean, this, yeah. The, the,
4: that it's this, even a debate happening.
3: Yeah, exactly. So yeah. we got two big thumbs up. More The more pride clothing you wear, the better. Yeah. And we're, and, we're, and we're experts on children.
4: Yeah. HEB so, also has some cool pride merch. Very good. For everyone to check out.
3: And I guess down, if you're in Florida, down to Disney World, <laughs> plenty of pride clothing there. <laughs> Disney if you want. World
4: specifically. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know. Unless you're trying to show a Disney movie in your classroom, then <laughs> they will not be happy with that.
3: Oh, very good. All right. Hey, uh, our next, uh, yeah, we got a little bit of music. And then, oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Rico's in the studio. On the line with us is our good buddy Erica Dotson. She's with Writers in the Schools, and uh, we love Writers in the Schools. It's one of the great programs that gets uh, kids to do more writing. One of the yeah. key, improve literacy. One of the key essential pieces of success in life is uh, your writing ability, and it's Mental Health Awareness Month, and so we're checking in with Erica on how Wits or Writers in the Schools is helping children deal deal with feelings and emotions. Erica, uh, how are you doing today? By the way.
5: I'm doing well. Thank you all again so much
3: for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Erica, uh, kids for uh, eons have been using writing as a way to sort of uh, feel out their feelings and sort of uh, help with uh, sort of uh, self-help around mental health. Uh, uh, it's, and it continues today, doesn't it? It absolutely
0: does. And I don't need to tell you all how much pressure children are feeling in school. In addition to what's going on in society, because of COVID, there's a great amount of learning loss that children have experienced having been out of the classroom due to the quarantine.
3: And so there's a lot of
0: pressure in the classroom setting to perform well academically, in addition to what they're seeing in the news and social media. So kids are pretty stressed out now. And so writers in the school have had the privilege of working with principals and teachers to help students to have that outlet to be able to express themselves and share their
4: feelings in a creative way. Yeah, Erica, even as an adult, you hear the kind of importance or the diversion to journaling, um, but maybe I still am bad at sitting down and doing it and fully understanding how that can help. How can kids outside of the academic setting, just writing out maybe their thoughts and feelings, what would you encourage them to do, devoting time, encourage parents to devote time and also how does that lay out in processing those emotions?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of times children are hesitant to write their feelings down. One, because they're afraid of judgment, that someone would critique their writing to say maybe the sentence doesn't make sense or you have a misspelled word, or even that what they're writing may be judged. And so in our space, we encourage parents and teachers. Just give children an opportunity to get their thoughts down. Don't worry about correcting their spelling or their grammar, and also try to withhold your opinions about what they're writing. It's fine to ask questions to get greater clarity on what the meaning is, uh, but we try to withhold our opinions and feelings so that students will feel comfortable actually saying how they truly feel. And then from there... Both teachers and parents can decide how best to continue to support their child, especially during these difficult times.
3: Erica, I don't know if you're on speakerphone or not, but if you're on speakerphone, come off because we're getting a little too much of an echo back from you. So, if, uh,
2: Oh, no,
5: uh, I'm not. I'm sorry.
3: Okay, okay, that's okay. Um, Erica, I wanted, you know, in terms of riders in the schools, uh, when you guys are doing some of the planning in terms of after-school programs, how much consideration are you giving to this whole idea of mental mental wellness? So we
0: are very fortunate to have several riders that have mental health backgrounds. Yeah. And we have a specific curriculum that has been created with children in mind during this time. And it gives them the opportunity to pause and reflect um, using objects or even scenarios to draw their thoughts and feelings to the page. So we spend quite a bit of time yeah. in the planning phase to figure out how best to support children.
4: Yeah, In your training of teachers or in the partnership with teachers, whether it's in the classroom or after school, how would you encourage those that might be taking in and reading these um, essays or self-reflective moments if it is um, kind of peer-reviewed and starting that conversation without breaching kind of the wall that that student might have wanted up from just them and their pen and paper and writing versus the teacher still trying to form that relationship and help the student in processing those emotions?
0: I definitely think that it's important to have the peer conference in place, but the teacher always should take at least five to seven minutes to spend with students, to hear them out, to read their writing back to them, and get clarity on what the intention was. And again, I always encourage teachers to lead with questions and listen as much as possible without judgment.
4: Yeah, I had a friend in the classroom who said every week she would have this kind of creative writing outlet or letter and she'd Mm -hmm. have a box that I want my teacher to read, I don't. And she said a lot of students left it in the I don't want the teacher to read and she honored that and just left it there. Yeah, so she'll have to make some But she said by the end of the year they started putting more and more in the I want my teacher to read.
2: Yeah, And she was able Mm -hmm. to really
4: form those relationships. I thought that was a very cool thing she did.
3: Erica, how much should kids be writing every day? I mean, you know. You know, we think that maybe writing is not happening as much. Does technology lend towards more writing or less writing, and how much should kids be doing?
0: Yeah, I think that social media and technology really has caused somewhat of a hindrance for children. Uh, But I would encourage teachers and parents to allow their children at least 30 minutes a day of writing. When I was in the classroom, I would start every class with journaling time. And students have the option to begin writing their thoughts and feelings, a poem, or even questions for their consideration or mine. And then at the end of class, there was more time that they were able to go back to that journal and write. It really gives them the opportunity to kind of think through what they want to share with adults Mm -hmm. um, to make sure their thoughts and ideas are clear and also just a free space for them to process their emotions.
3: Yeah, so necessary. Erica Dotson is with Riders in the Schools. Erica, thank you so much for all the great work that you guys do at Riders in the Schools. And uh, uh, keep it up and please pass around our, our uh, good efforts to your team.
0: Absolutely. Thank you all so much.
3: All righty. Take care. You're listening to Growing Up in America on KPFT Pacifica Radio. It's Pledge Week. And so right after the little music break, we'll, uh, we'll ask you to give some money.
2: Addicted to betrayal, but you're relevant You're terrified to look down Cause if you dare, you see the glare Of everyone you burn just to get there It's coming back around
3: is that one of your favorite songs, Claire? Just it's, one it's one of
4: the best. It's <laughs> might be top ten. I don't know if it's top five. <laughs> really? Uh, no, actually, it might be like top fifteen. <laughs>
3: wow! Wow! Yeah. Uh, you're listening to Growing Up in America on KPFT Pacifica Radio, and it's Pledge Week on KPFT, uh, the best community radio station uh, ever, ever in the world. In the where world, where else
4: would you hear this show?
3: This is the only place right, where you'd hear children's policy and uh, children's issues. It's a big deal. And we know that parents all over town and others that care about the future of our country and of our city and our state – uh, And sometimes it seems like the future of our state is in jeopardy, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. but uh, the group of children of is out there each and every day uh, during the legislative session working in Austin. But we also want you to help us by uh, donating to KPFT, Pacifica Radio, your community radio station, so that uh, we can continue doing this. But more importantly, so that uh, Pacifica and KPFT can continue doing the great work that they're doing. And so uh, we'd love for you to give us a call at 713 526 526 And we want you to press number... One. No, number one. Okay. Option number one. You want to press one, 713-526-5738. Press one to donate. And uh, I know we've had at least one phone call. Um, and so we're excited about uh, people donating. So uh, we've been doing pretty well, right? We've been averaging a number of people every show. And, we have. and we're a relatively new show. I mean, we, we took a break. We were on for 12 years, took a break for a couple of years, including one pandemic. Uh, but now That's we're true. back uh, serving the children and families of Texas. So give us a call. 713-526-5738. Option one. Uh, we're looking forward to your phone call so that you could donate a little bit. And uh, you ready for our next guest, Claire? I am. Reverend I am. Jessica Sh- Shannon is on the line with us. She is uh, a Master of Divinity and a board certified ch- chaplain uh, with the Association of Professional Chaplains. And uh, uh, we want to talk a little, little bit about helping children during periods of grief. Uh, Reverend Shannon, how are you doing today? Jessica, are you there?
5: I'm doing well.
3: How are you? There you go. <laughs> that was Excellent. So, uh, first off, you know our our children. You know we we know that because of the pandemic and everything that there's been more trauma. Uh, it and I guess as as family members die and as pets die and uh, and other sorts of traumatic events happen, our children are dealing with grief in much bigger ways. I mean, even I think today, right, being the uh, uh, one-year anniversary of Uvalde and Rob Elementary, in many ways you have kids that are dealing with that grief today.
5: Yes, and that's all sorts of different types of grief. Yeah. Um, The loss encompasses so many things. Uh, Loss of community, the kids who went to Rob and no longer do. They grieve the, the trauma, they grieve the deaths of their friends, but also their community is different. Yeah. Um, and then deaths in general, uh, uh, the mental health crisis, they are often grieving who they are and who their friends are, mm-hmm. their identity. And teachers and parents can really be there to educate them and help them understand the finality of death as well as normalize their grief let them know they're not alone
3: you know it's interesting right because i think americans in general and certainly young americans whether they be in their young 20s or kids many times don't know how to deal with grief right i think uh we know, right, as as uh, uh, people who have had to deal with grief and you with your background, you know that the more we talk about it, the better. But so many people think, well, maybe I just don't want to talk about it because it's going to be helpful if I don't mention things. Talk about yeah. sort of that little difference.
5: Yes. A lot of people like to do that, uh, like sort of avoid it because they think they're protecting children yeah. or protecting themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in reality, you and I know that children have a big imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what we don't tell them is they create, they imagine, and it's often worse than what is really in front of them. Yeah. If they have that safe space, that honesty, we really like to encourage people to use concrete words with children, even if those are the words that get stuck in your throat, the death, dying, dead, um, to let them understand that it's final. And they look to us. They look to the adults in their lives. How are they grieving? Are they okay crying?
4: Are they and I'm okay to cry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like we shut ourselves down and try to like the narrative of staying strong. Um, But like you said, it's important to be vulnerable to show them that they don't have to hold it all together.
5: Yes. And we can reframe what strong means. Oh yeah. Strong is being real with our feelings. And that's important right now with the mental health crisis as well. Strong is talking. Strong is saying I hurt. Strong is saying I am angry that my loved one died.
3: How do you address something like, you know, if you're not in Nuvaldi, right? So this is a different type of grief. You're in a school in Houston, but you're seeing all of this on TV and it makes you worry. It makes you, tra- if you're a youngster, you're worried, you're tra- traumatized by the fact that these little kids were killed in their school and now you're going to school in a sense that's certainly a mental health need, but it's it's a grief in a sense too, isn't it? That you've sort of lost that innocence that school is just fine for you.
5: Right. And it's important for teachers and parents to not ignore it. Just because you're not in the same school, yeah, those kids are now worried, are we next? And they're doing the drill. Yeah. So they're enacting what would happen if it were real, which is trauma in itself. And um, so I would encourage them to sit down and maybe write letters together, create yeah. memory boxes draw and play. Children process their feelings through play. So like pediatric chaplains, we do a lot of spiritual play, which is letting kids play to find meaning and
4: to work out their fears, their worries, their sadness. Yeah, this is kind of a pivot, but thinking of um, like when I was in school, I didn't start the drills or really processing it until later in life. So I feel like I had, I was more equipped and also social media wasn't as expansive but how have you seen a shift in children getting their hands on phones and more social media, younger and younger, and how that plays out on trying to kind of reroute the conversations of what they're seeing online?
5: In some ways,
4: there has been some healthy where they
5: realize, my feelings are okay mm-hmm. because kids are very vulnerable and they will make TikToks about how they're feeling today. Yeah. yeah. So that in that respect, it's good. But then in the respect of their self-worth and who they are really gets beat down if they feel like they're not matching up to somebody else. And um, so there's a, there's a lot of heaviness there that can be addressed by um, all the adults in their lives that they trust. that You matter and who you are matters.
3: It's interesting, Jessica, right? I mean, that um, in this day and age, especially in Texas, where we don't have counselors, by and large, in the schools or social workers, and, uh, you know, certainly not as many as we should have. And so the the onus when we come when we're talking about grief and mental health is on parents. And we know that many parents are woefully unequipped to do this uh, or teachers, right? And yeah. teachers are like mm-hmm. overburdened with stuff. And so what you end up with are kids that are at the mercy of almost being lucky that they get a teacher who knows what to do in this and, and has the time uh, or lucky to have a parent who has the time and they're not busy working. And uh, maybe they have a little bit of know-how in this. And it, it we shouldn't be leaving the future of our kids and the the, the mental well being of our kids up to luck, but it seems like that's what we're doing.
5: Yes. And I see that as a chaplain, too. They get lucky to have the chaplain who will spend yeah. the time. Yeah. But it, they're not lucky because they're already in the hospital. So they had to get sick in order to have that safe space to talk.
3: Yeah. it's uh, uh, There's a lot of work for us to do in this state to to get where, where we need to be, that's for sure. Uh, Absolutely. Reverend it's Jessica a Shen. Shift. Yeah, it is a culture shift, right? And 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 we're in a place like Texas that we're used to telling people, uh, or there's at least a culture of, uh, well, you know, you're you're, you're you want to be grownups. Uh, you're going to have to pull your pants up, you know, and just sort of deal with this stuff. You're going to have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do what's needed. And I think uh, in a lot of the state, that still permeates sort of the culture, right? This idea that toughen up, uh, little guys. You know, you're going to be just fine. And indeed. Uh, it just means that we have kids that are uh, tra- traumatized and wounded as we move forward. Yes,
5: absolutely we do.
3: Yeah, very good. Reverend Jessica Shannon, uh, thank you very much for being on the Growing Up in America program and talking a little bit about grief, such an important issue. Thank you, Jessica, so much. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you. Have a good day. You, know, you too. You're listening to Growing Up in America, KPFT 90.1 Pacifica Radio.
2: If you fly, if you lead, you your all
3: time. right it's time for uh claire's favorite segment the data of the day and uh, nadia valiana is with us again today nadia how you doing today
2: Hi, good afternoon.
3: Very good, nice I'm to. I'm doing
2: well, thanks. How are
3: good. you? Good. Nadia is the director of community philanthropy for the Greater Houston Community Foundation and the number is 45% and what did you guess that that was, Claire? 45%. kind
4: of I wasn't close. I said 45% of students are very upset that they have to go to summer break because they want to stay in the classroom oh, all year round.
3: So they had this persistent sadness because uh, they they're want just to gonna miss school. So they're much just going to miss school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. You know, I, uh, it seems like a lot of our stuff is mental illness, wellness today, right? Yeah, so I'm going to say 45% of kids maybe don't have access to a mental health mm-hmm. professional. That that's my guess. What is it, Nadia? Tell us what 45% is. Yeah.
2: 45% of high school students in Texas, reported experiencing persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness in 2021.
3: Wow. And how does that compare to previous years, uh, uh, Nadia?
2: Yeah, it's it's uh, increased by a lot. So over the past 20 years, it's increased by 16 percentage points. Wow. In
3: 2001, that rate was 29%. And why do you think that is, Nadia? I mean, why is it that kids, uh, I mean, are we raising kids that are just uh, much more... Um, you know, are they? I'm going to sound too Texasy now. Like, are they not strong enough? Is that what it is? What, what's the deal? Why? Why are kids having this sadness? What's What's going on?
2: Well, I think a lot of it is exactly what you've been discussing on the show so far. Yeah, you talked about um, school shootings, mass violence. I think climate change concerns mm-hmm. and anxiety is a huge part of it. And as we saw yesterday. The Surgeon General, Doctor Murphy, yeah. cited a profound risk of harm to mental health that um, social media has. That harm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Talk a little bit about that, right? Because I get, I get uh, social media being a part of bullying, and that you hear some bullying. But um, is is this something where kids are watching social media and they're they're going on TikTok and they're seeing things like, "Wow, this is." The world is uh, just a big mess. You know, there's too many mean people out there, too many Karens. Is that, is that what kids are seeing and they're sort of developing this hopelessness?
2: I think it could be a lot of different things. I think primarily an issue is related to comparison. A lot of children are seeing highlight reels, essentially, mm. which is yeah. what social media is, and then maybe misinterpreting that at, as, a, as a consistent thing um, among people and maybe comparing that their lives aren't in aren't the same they aren't the same i think appearance problems which has always been an issue but now with social media it's just much more easy to be around and prevalent
4: yeah i was talking to my friend too the other day and what we grew up with was very different because it was a Mm -hmm. 30-minute vlog edited and chopped so when someone said like oh that's their highlight rule it was easy to distinguish and process that a little bit more but i think now with tiktok lives stories every single second of someone's days put out there and so it's harder to separate that sometimes they have sad moments if 99 minutes out of 100 are happy moments because they can see it just click and click and click.
3: Claire, Claire for you when you were like in high school which is not that long ago right certainly compared yeah. to me what were the things that sort of drove your sadness or hopelessness and not that yeah. you I mean you might have been super positive but oh, I, but know, I think I all my... kids have this at times right?
4: Yeah see I it was a different land so stories were on the cusp. So that was starting to see everyone's highlight reels. Um, Before it was, you just saw the YouTubers and those who really did the vlogging and that, of Mm -hmm. course, like the comparison in that or the teen magazines. But when you could start, you don't, I compared more to celebrities. So when I shifted to comparing more to my peers as social media grew was when it really just zoned in. Um, Because it is when you're in The darkest place and you're on your phone and you're seeing everyone else just living their best life, as you presume. Um, It's hard the more and more you see.
3: Nadia, I don't think social media is going away, right? So, I mean, uh, what are we going to have to do as a state and what should we be beginning to do uh, within families to deal with some of this, uh, these numbers?
2: Yeah, I think also the other issue is that it isn't necessarily just social media. Yeah, yeah the opportunity cost of social media, if you will. So if we're spending more time in front of screens, that isn't actually real connection. That's not human connection. We're not building um, social connectivity. And there's an increased rate of loneliness at the same time, which I think impacts all of this. So the more we can actually rely on human face-to-face interaction, building real connections and relationships, I think that
3: will help. And that's something parents can do with their kids right is to actively yep, pleated, look at those yeah. yeah those Community. social connections right, especially now with the the pandemic sort of coming to an end this is the time to sort of jump in. you have more and more parents open to these new experiences uh, parents parents need to be a little proactive right for the mental health of their kids
2: yeah. Exactly.
3: Very good. Nadia Valiana is with the Houston Community Foundation, um, and the, she is the Director of Community Philanthropy with the Greater Houston Community Foundation. Nadia, thank you very much for all you and your team do, and thanks for being on the Growing Up in America program. Thanks for having me. All righty. You're listening to Growing Up America, KPFT Pacifica Radio. All right, it's uh, Pledge Week, it KPFT, is. and uh, we've already received a, a nice pl- a donation, right? Have Gret- we? Gretchen, $500. Oh, she's so generous. She is always very generous. So we want to thank Gretchen for her fantastic donation. If you want to join Gretchen, you don't have to give 500 You could give 50 yeah. You could give $15. Uh, just give us a call, 713-526-5738. 713-526-5738. Option one very good and that's what you hit every time right claire every time you do i know option, option one. one and then
4: option two and you give us a song request after donation i just request. added that in yeah that's new
3: yeah rico is happy to take your song requests after donation so what do we have eight songs back there those are the I only know. ones that we keep using over and over again rico oh you have more songs rico if we needed to okay very good perfect all right seven one three five two six five seven three eight hey on the line with us is venicia peacock and uh, we're excited to have her Here she's with the Harris County Department of Education. Uh, She's works in the early education area, and we want to talk about the impact of low wages, uh, staff vacancies on child learning and development. Uh, Venetia, we just had these uh, child care desert maps that just came out, Mm -hmm. showing that there's significant parts of Texas, but certainly our community here in Houston, where there is no access to quality daycare quality child care uh and part of that is because we have these low wages and uh le- leading to the, to huge staff vacancies it's 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 really a crisis in the early education area benicia
1: it is definitely a cra- crisis and the crisis was really highlighted through COVID pandemic mm-hmm. and the great resignation that that yeah that we experienced during that. And we're still trying to recover from that.
4: I was going to ask, how does that currently look like? Do we predict this year those staff vacancies will only grow, or can we see more workforce coming in?
1: I see an uptick, but I think we're still dealing with people not wanting to to reenter into the profession because of pay. Yeah. Mm -hmm because you have to have a livable wage and to work with children, you really need to be able to focus on some, all the needs that you guys were taking, talking about earlier.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, right? I mean, this is sort of a linchpin of our economy. You have working parents that want to be out there working, right? They want to do what everyone wants them to do, working a job, but if they can't find daycare that they can afford, And that is high quality. And and frankly, a lot of parents are are happy to settle for medium quality, but they want daycare. But if you can't fill those openings and and they are low paid, it it becomes sort of this circular problem for our economy, Benicia.
1: Well, and parents need more than daycare. Yeah, Children need to be prepared to be successful in life and be ready for school. And so even at the youngest ages, we're preparing students, we're helping them to be collaborate to become good good partners and play partners and just giving them basic skills to be prepared for life. And that is what quality looks like. And so babysitting is or just having yeah, yeah. somewhere to leave your child is not what we want for our children
4: mm-hmm. for child development. Also too I know um Pay is a big one, but there was a survey run, and it, it's actually fallen in the reasons why teachers are leaving a workforce of education in general are leaving. I know it's behind mental health leadership, mm-hmm. possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, but in conjunction with pay, more of the conversation of benefits and lack of availability to move up if there's no interest in administrative positions, like no internal teacher hierarchy. Um, so the conversations well, have definitely shifted and become more interesting.
1: Right, and the reason we have professionalized the the teaching staff of young children or educators of young students is that because it's critical these are the young children that we are raising to become leaders in our next generation of folks who will make decisions, and we have to start with them young when you get you be okay when you stay home and you just went to kindergarten well now that's. Children have to be prepared to handle what is expected of them in kindergarten, which means you have to pay teachers who are preparing children to enter into school a livable way, a wage that will support them as professionals, that they can focus on preparing and um, being prepared to teach young children.
4: Correct. If you're worried about things at home where... just making it based on your wage, it's really hard to focus on the career yeah. that you... Yeah, if
1: you got to go to Walgreens after you get off of work to, to make your household work, then you're not really focused on the importance of early care and education.
3: And we can't overemphasize this idea of high-quality early education, high-quality ch- child care really makes a significant difference in the academic performance, the later academic performance of this child, right? We know that... Kids that are coming from low-income backgrounds, which is 65% of our kids in the state of Texas, we know that those kids, if they get high-quality early education, they will do much better academically. They are much more likely to go to college, much right. more likely to be successful. And so it becomes important for us to say this isn't just economic in terms of right now and getting the parents working. It's economic in terms of the future of our state, Venetia. I mean, th- this becomes
1: exactly. one of the
3: most important things we're doing.
1: Right. If we can prepare a future workforce, and we start when they're very young, by preparing them on how, to, how you learn, how you grow, how you get the skills that you need to be successful in school, that's only going to help us as a, as a state, as a nation, um, preparing that, those students for the workforce.
3: Yeah, very yeah. good. Venicia Peacock is with the Harris County Department of Education working day in and day out on early education. Venetia, thank you very very much for what you and your team do and thanks for being on the Growing Up in America program.
1: Thank you. All
3: righty. You're listening to KPFT, Pacifica Radio, Growing Up in America. <speaking> Who's that? uh,
4: That is Bad Bunny. Thank you. That's who I thought. He asked for more music and
3: we were provided. Boricua, right? Puerto Rican, Bad Bunny. And that leads to, uh, of course, I love every Puerto Rican performer, right? So Mm -hmm. having grown up there. But that leads to one of my favorites, Dr. Jamie Freeney. So, oh,
4: hello. a favorite to a favorite. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
3: Exactly. Dr. Jamie Freeney is with Mental Health uh, America here in Houston. And uh, uh, Dr. Freeney, how the heck have you been doing, by the way?
0: I've been amazing. This Mental Health Awareness Month has just been great for me because I've been to, been able to interact with so many students. So, it's really. I don't know. It's it's giving me energy and I'm just so grateful that a lot of conversations around varying aspects of mental health are happening. So Thank you for continuing to hold space
3: for that. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, people ask Claire and I all the time. Uh, they say, you know, all the things that are going on with kids in Texas, how do you stay positive? And, and I want to, you know, how, because mental health is probably one of the things that, you know, the Hardest. L- lowest area funded in the state of Texas. There's so much going on there. How do you stay positive, Dr. Freeney, as you as you deal with this?
0: Um, there are a couple of things that allow me to continue to be positive and one of those um, which I'm learning more now this month and last month is that our young people are taking responsibility into their own hands Mm. and they are seeking out mental health experts to get information to help them build programs at their school to help them build programs in their community they're concerned about their peers and they're asking questions that Allow me or a child advocate to guide them to credible resources so that they can find this information. So, what I'm um, one of the things that I've been doing this month is helping young people identify what are those credible organizations and websites where you can go if you have a question about depression or what it looks like or how to have a friend. So there's resources that we can talk about. Another reason I remain hopeful is because we've had a response to the increasing rates in suicide among young people. And when yeah. I say that we've had a response, I mean that we've seen our local healthcare providers actively engage in strategies and expansion opportunities in order to increase um, access so that Mm -hmm. needs can be met, as well as this increase in um, conversations around integrated behavioral health. So putting those professionals in clinics, in primary care provider offices, or even just connecting them so that you reduce the number of places you have to go should you need additional psychiatric or mental health support um yeah, yeah. and i also think because it's it, it, it's it's effect, it impacting everybody yeah no that's, that's right the other and
3: i i also see sort of this sort of uh um level of activism you know it, it's it's not uh, amongst young people it's not huge but it's there isn't it i mean it's you're yeah. seeing more and more kids sort of decide uh listen uh, old people in our state aren't taking care of things how do we sort of uh uh, activate mm-hmm. a little bit more. I wanted to ask you one question uh, that I think you're uniquely able to answer, Jamie, and that's, uh, you know, we had Uvalde a year ago, and mm-hmm. and I remember a big press conference right there uh, at Uvalde and everyone talking, you know, no one ever wants to talk about guns. So they talk about mental illness and they talk about mental health and this idea that we're now as a state, we just need to invest more in mental health. And in the past, you and I have been happy to say, okay, well then give us more money on mental health. We'll take it because we're very far behind. But it seems like this time there's a lot of talk about mental health. And we know there's really not a big connection between guns and mental health, but we'll take the mental health support, right? Right.
0: Let's just uh, think it. Yeah. We're just going <laughs> to jump on the opportunity while it's pretty Yeah
3: <laughs> But, but, but it seems like this time we didn't really see a lot of mental health money come down the line. And and it in a, in a state where we had a $33 billion surplus, we didn't really see a lot more mental health money. You
0: know, and I'm, Wondering if that's because of two things. One, when we know during every legislative session, there is a push to even get conversations and committee hearings on youth mental health and mental health related subjects. So I think being less informed and not really understanding the impact of mental wellness on a community and in schools and in just in general, there's a lack of understanding, so there's a lack of prioritization among, mm-hmm. I believe, some decision makers because they don't connect the dots on how a mentally well community can thrive mm-hmm. um, if provided the you know, right resources. The other thing as far as um, funding that's coming down and it's not really focused on mental health, I think that's because it's, well, more so we've been hearing about guns and having these conversations around gun safety, but as we move toward another election, I'm wondering if that also plays a role into the dissemination of money and and if it goes toward education, if it goes to clinical mental health supports. Or if it goes to, in some way, support um, you know gun safety and putting up metal detectors, which yeah. I don't think yeah. is, you know, the answer. But yeah, <laughs> right. and we
4: talk all right. the time of, um, especially we had something with architects speaking of. You don't want to close and create these lockdown systems. That's not what makes students feel safe, and that's not what creates safety. It's just a false sense of security. Um, but more building on your community, investing in the community, the connection, the mental health sources, the wellness of your students. I know you do a lot with youth engagement, like you mentioned, and I, too, try to remain hopeful um, and see a lot of youth, though they are, as we learn from day to the day, um, kind of burnt out with what they hear every day. They're still hopeful, and I see them organizing. How do you see in this, in your conversations with youth seeking out resources, the next generation of leaders kind of leading a charge for more research? resources in their schools
0: i see that emerging through school student mental health groups so mm-hmm. those schools that are actually supporting those students who are wanting to either start a um like a mental health allegiance or there are some like students against stigma there are some really great like affinity groups that are inclusive of people that have mental illness, but they also provide opportunity to talk about mental um, illness and mental health and what it looks like. I think that as students are able to um, create space and as adults are able to make sure there are places at the table for them, that the that they will be more um, outspoken about what they're seeing. I don't think that, Mental health in this um, upcoming generation is it stigmatized. Yeah, I you know I certainly think that will help to increase the number of resources and the number of conversations around it. And I also don't think students are, have fear. They don't, you know, there's not a fear of getting kicked out of school or a fear of being stigmatized just because they're talking about this. It's something that impacts everyone, and so schools, and we know that schools that address mental wellness and have that focus, they perform well. Right. Uh, Their students do well and perform well and go on to graduate. Um, So I think we'll start seeing more leaders um, come up schools and then even those schools connecting with community organizations like Children at Risk and and like Mental Health America to get guidance on whatever it is that they want to do, and then they'll take it from there. And I... Two examples are one group wants to that I'm working with wants to improve um, relationships between, with, between students and teachers.
1: Mm-hmm. So they've
0: asked me how to go about doing this utilizing a storytelling framework. And then there was another group of students who um, did not have a sponsor at school, and they took on a social media campaign and was able to gain so many followers in such a little amount of time that um, and they're putting out information about mental health. Yeah. So they reached out to us for that, you know, those facts and things like that, but they're not having that sponsor to support them at school, but that didn't stop them. Yeah. So we're going to, you know, that we, we see we have some resilient youth, we yeah. have some, you know, per- persistent youth, and we definitely have some competent, brilliant youth.
3: Dr. Jamie Freeney is with Mental Health America. And, and Jamie, I, 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 I want to go. Uh, Uh, I want to end this segment, though, by saying, you know, one of the things that we we don't talk about enough – we don't talk about mental health enough, certainly. But the other thing is that uh, we're one of only 10 states that doesn't accept – uh, federal money, you know, for uh, Medicaid, right? And mm-hmm. and if we did that, if we had Medicaid expansion in Texas, we'd have an influx of money for kids for mental health. And uh, if if we just did that, though, it's a politically divisive issue, right? Our state doesn't want to talk about this, so it's- they
0: don't want to talk about it. But there are some really great examples emerging from other states and cities. I believe I saw one from Denver where Medicaid is being used to supplement and um, provide student mental health.
3: Yeah, yeah. And
0: it's incredible. These, these partnerships that they're having with schools that are allowing schools to remain the main educator while just, you know, about having someone on that campus yeah. um, that can support the physical and mental health. There's
3: so, the there's students. so many good examples around the and we're, yeah. we're running out of time. Dr. Jamie Freeney is mental health America. Jamie, thank you very much for all you do. Thanks thank for being on growing up Bob. in America. All right. Talk to you soon. Very good. You're listening to Growing Up in America, KPFT. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. The prairie sky is wide and high. Deep in the heart. Claire, you just like clapping away in here. Uh, oh,
4: sorry. I always miss the clap. I grew up in Louisiana. So
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're li- here on Growing Up in America, we're bringing on uh, Nicole Lima. She's an organizing policy aso- associate with Worry Juntos. Nicole, how are you doing today?
2: Hey, y'all. I'm doing great. Very good. Thanks for having me
3: here. Absolutely. Nicole, explain to us quickly what Worry Juntos is, and are we pronouncing it right?
6: Yes. Um, so Woody Hunt is a nonprofit organization in Houston um, based in the spring Branch area and Woody in Korean actually means um, us and then juntas in Spanish means together so together, together it's us the other rising oh. and so we primarily help serve those who um, are of Asian descent or all immigrant descent all across um, Houston, all across Texas as well.
3: Fantastic. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's great. And, uh, I, I know that, uh, uh you came, you were work. you graduated from Baylor and you came to Woody, uh, talk a little bit about what led you to, to work at a place. I mean, it sounds fantastic. Yeah. <laughs>
6: Yeah, absolutely. would be more than happy to. Um, so when I was at Baylor University, I was a um, psychology and economics double major, and I minored in Spanish, which mm-hmm. is an interesting combination um, for those uh, who I've usually talked to. And um, in that time, I actually took a course that was actually completely outside of my um, credits. It was a course called Race, Religion, Reconciliation, taught by a Vietnamese-American professor. And it was also during the height um, of COVID. Um, A lot of the, um, um, API hates going on, also the movements, and also, um, just a lot of what I think isn't just stemmed from during that period of time. It's something that has been, um, talked about and festering for generations Mm. over. And so for me, um, when I graduated from Uh, Baylor. I was looking for specifically a nonprofit organization that worked um, alongside um, advancing, you know, Asian Americans or Asians or all immigrants, and I happened to stumble upon the Woody And for me, it was just this huge realization of the type of history that I felt like I didn't even know about um, myself um, of in this country. And I think a huge reason of why I also ended up here with the Juntos was because so I'm a second generation immigrant, and my parents they both came from China, um, quite literally escaping poverty, so that uh, my brother and I um, could be here in America to live a better life. And one of the things that um, my parents have said to me that really broke my heart was in Chinese, you say, wow. which translates to um, little baby, mommy and daddy, sorry. Um, we can't give you anything but um, money and food. Um, we don't have time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which really broke my heart because yeah. my parents have sacrificed their bodies, unconditionally loved us um, so much and beyond just the tangible. And so for me, it was really important for me to um, also reconcile this heritage that I have, but also bridge that into the world of social justice. And so that, to me, is also a huge reason why I'm working here, um, who are um, working with those who are directly impacted, so community members, and also working on language access, but also working on so many other aspects to bridge them to crucial services so that they don't just survive, but they also thrive in wow.
3: Texas. What a very Texas thing too, right? This whole idea of <laughs> Latino and Asian culture yeah. is merging. So yeah, Claire?
4: Yeah, I, I love that story. That was beautiful. And I love this episode because we're talking a lot about youth engagement. And I know Rui Juntos does some of that through your Young Advocates fellowship. Can you talk about not only how you engage those affected, but what are some platforms and what are their priorities and how they're involved?
6: Yes, absolutely. So, um, Woody does, we're crafting or building upon, um, a young advocate, um, base. And so I think one of the most important things, um, for our organization is definitely that focus on those who are directly impacted. So that also includes a lot of our young people, um, in this day and age. And so we wanted to ensure that, um, you know, a lot of people, including me, um, you know, in the past, it was just a matter of um, what resources are out there, but also outreach. And also, most okay. importantly, the opportunity and also being guided with um, resources as well. And so within our organization, um we have started to build upon a base of young people who are passionate within this realm of social justice, also ranging from many of these um, topics that they are interested in doing a deep dive in. I'm doing a lot of local work and state work and so our goal is to provide that um, space not only to be active within the advocacy and policy realm and learning about what is most um, impacting them in the city of Houston, the state, I and mean, all around them, but also it's really important to have that space to heal. Um, I know y'all have been talking a lot about um, the incredible um, mental health um, Yeah resources and also um, everything surrounding that. Um, And also for us, it's really important to offer that space um, for reconciliation as well. Um, Also growing up and having people to talk to about that and also how to feed in with their communities. And so I'm giving them opportunities to create a capstone project, but also um, engage with just broader community members and just be more engaged um, with um, the city of Houston and also just broader outside as well.
3: This is fantastic. Uh, yeah. I love learning more about this organization. I, I, I think we need to skip though to our fun five, our fun questions at the end of the day. <laughs> so, uh, Nicole, first question. What did you want to be when you were a kid? When you, when you, what do you want to be growing up? What would you say?
6: Oh, I would say, so I used to be a competitive swimmer for a very ah, long time. Yeah. For a very long time, I wanted to go to the Olympics for swimming, um, also, a culmination of being a teacher and a conductor all
3: at once. Yes, <laughs> but that's that's the beauty of kids, right? You could be a veterinarian and a rock star at the same time. I mean, you could do love all these Hannah things. Yeah. Live. I love the conductor and a teacher. Yeah, very
4: good. I'm going to steal my favorite question: What actress would play you in the movie of your life?
6: Oh. Oh, see, that is really difficult because I actually don't know many actresses, (laughs) but I really do like Constance Wu. Uh, She's someone I really look up to, so that would
3: be really cool. Wow, very good. And what's your favorite movie around activism, Nicole?
6: Oh, favorite movie around activism. Um, I don't think this movie specifically might scream activism. I recently watched Everything Everywhere All at Once. Ah, I think it was. And... Yeah, um, for me, it's, it's, it's a movie about activism because it also talks a lot about, um, like, a personal journey, but also within, like, a generation of immigrants and a generation um, of intergenerational, um, like, trauma or just different areas in there. And I think that, for me, it's also activism because it brings a light to a lot of, like, mental health topics but also within healing and how that's also important within social justice.
3: Excellent. Nicole Lima is with uh, Woody Juntos, a great organization here in Houston. Uh, Thank you, Nicole, very much for you and everything that your team is doing. And thanks for being on the Growing Up in America program.
6: Thank you all so much for having me.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Growing up in America here on KPFT, we uh, bring this uh, show to you each and every week, and uh, we want to thank you guys for donating, uh, for giving this week, and uh, there's still time, right? We want you to donate 713-526-5738, option one. Donate. So, Claire, we have a good show next week. Uh, should be we pretty do. exciting. We'll be back, Claire and I. It's you and I again next week, it right? It is.
4: It is. And I would tease a guest. I know Dr. Freeney's coming back, so I can oh, tease that. I know.
3: Yes. You will can hear we get her again. enough of Jamie Freeney? No, we cannot get enough. Anyway, uh, thank you guys so very much. We'll see you next time here on uh, Growing Up in America. We do this each and every day for, for children. I
1: up the plane
5: at with a dream, my cardigan. Welcome to the land of fame, excess Am I gonna fit in? Jumped in the cab, here I am for the first time. Look to my right, and I see the Hollywood sign. This is all so crazy. Everybody seems so famous. My tummy's turning,
2: and I'm feeling kinda of homesick. Too much pressure
5: on the road.
0: There's a taxi maker on the radio. And a Jay Z's And the Jay Houston, 90.1. FN, HD1, check us out. You'll love it. Talking to your
6: kids about the dangers
0: of vaping can be hard.
6: Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development?